0: everybody i'm panicky in the uk this is panicky pictures ah! Ah, and this is a kind of impromptu i'm thinking of ending things episode um, i wasn't initially planning on doing an episode on this but after a lot of thinking and a lot of discussion about the film i realized that i had a lot to say about it so uh, i decided that i would do one of these Um, The film has been out for just over a week now, but I wanted to finish reading the source novel uh, so that I could uh, discuss that too. So I will just say right at the top that I am going to be talking about plot points that occur throughout the film and the novel. Um, So if you've seen or read one but not the other, and you don't want to be spoiled for both of them, or... If you haven't engaged with either at all, I don't know why you'd be listening to this, but whatever. If you're avoiding spoilers in any way, um, this probably is not the episode for you, Uh, obviously. Feel free to come back later if you like, Um, but I just thought I'd get that out of the way right at the top. Um, I also just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. I'm aware there were slight audio issues, a little bit of mic handling noise um, in the previous episode. Apologies for that. Hopefully this one will be a little bit better. I don't want to make any promises I can't keep, but uh, I have changed the position of my mic and I'm hoping that that will at the very least help. Uh, So we'll see. Um, So uh, I'm trying to get these episodes out uh, roughly every two weeks. Um, The last episode was about uh, more than three weeks ago now I think actually and uh, my next episode is scheduled for a week from today when I'm recording this so uh, that schedule hasn't really held but as I say this is an impromptu episode I wanted to finish reading the book first so that kind of threw off my schedule a little bit it doesn't really matter just thought I'd let you know generally speaking I'm going for roughly every couple of weeks And one last tiny bit of housekeeping, um, before we launch right into it, is that I did mention in my previous episode that I was thinking of watching Bad Boys, um, which George Gallo, the screenwriter for Midnight Run, also wrote. He actually only wrote the story, he didn't write the screenplay. Uh, And I have watched it in the interim, and I did not like it. Um, So if you want to uh, see me describe what I did not like about Bad Boys, uh, feel free to check out my Letterboxd and uh, the link is in the description uh, to my letterbox. generally, not just to that review, but you can find it. Um, just thought I'd mention that anyway. Uh, yeah, so keeping you updated. All right, let's start talking about Charlie Kaufman. I'm very excited. So... Uh, I'm a big fan of Charlie Kaufman. I've seen all of his films apart from Human Nature and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I think, I don't know, don't generally seem to kind of get counted in the Kaufman canon, uh, for whatever reason. Um, I kind of forgot they existed, and I feel like a lot of people do. But I've been a huge fan of his for many years, and uh, the first film of his that I ever saw would have been being John Malkovich from 99, which was his first film, his first produced screenplay. Uh, I very much doubt that I saw it in 99. I would have been a little bit too young, I think. But I am pretty sure that I saw it not too long after that, Um, probably early teens or a little bit before, I imagine. Um, So probably sometime in the early 2000s, it completely blew me away, it's still one of my favourite films, Um, and I've pretty much loved every Kaufman film I've seen since then, Um, some more than others. Um, Synecdoche, New York is one uh, that's kind of the high watermark for me, I know that it is divisive for some people, but um, for me it really is his masterpiece, and the best thing he's ever done. I also liked Anomalisa, I think, a lot more than many people did. Um, for me, Eternal Sunshine actually is probably the weakest, which I know is very much a minority opinion, but you know, for me, it's the one that maybe works the least. I'd have to rewatch adaptation to say for sure, but I, I really remember liking adaptation very much. Um, so, anyway, I've been, I, uh, I really want to do a big Calvin rewatch actually. I Rewatched Synecdoche earlier this year. I just rewatched Being John Malkovich, and I saw. I'm thinking of ending things last week, um, but I would really like to rewatch uh, the others at some point in the near future. Anyway, suffice to say, I'm a big fan. But until this movie came out and everybody was talking about it, I think there was some kind of um, truisms or received wisdoms about Kaufman as a filmmaker that. I hadn't been aware of uh, and that I then kind of started seeing in a lot of places. Um, So I just want to kind of address some of those or discuss some of those. Um, So one thing that I've heard is that uh, he is a better writer than he is a director. I think particularly in Mark Kermode's review, who's very much kind of pushing this narrative and it's something that I've also seen echoed elsewhere. Um, particularly on, uh, in a review on Letterboxd that I saw, although that review shared quite a lot of points with Kermo's review, so I do wonder if maybe it was influenced by him, or they just have very similar outlooks. Um, I don't personally agree with that take. Um, for me, as I said, Synecdoche, New York is kind of his masterpiece. Um, I really liked Anomalisa, I think I'm thinking of ending things... Well, we'll get to what I think about I'm thinking of ending things, but I I think it's well-directed. But obviously, you know, whether somebody is a quote-unquote good director or not is essentially subjective. Um, I would be really interested to hear more kind of specific critiques of his directing style, because it's very difficult to address somebody just saying he's a bad director and leaving it at that. You can't really dig into that. So I don't know what the specifics of his style that people respond negatively to are. That was a tortured sentence. Um, I'd be interested to know, but anyway, I disagree with that take. I actually think that the films that he's directed or... Co directed himself uh, are among his best work. Um, But you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of his work in general. I agree that as a writer, he is an astonishing talent and one of the best out there. Um, Maybe I wouldn't say that of him as a director. Maybe if he were working with somebody else's material, um, we would, or I would, be able to kind of see those flaws more clearly as it is. I don't get it. Um, so the next thing that I saw, um, and this was a discussion, but again, this is kind of a sentiment that I have seen echoed, um, in other places, is that Kaufman hates himself and women. Um, which is so interesting to me. Um, I have no idea whether or not Kaufman hates himself. I think certainly he's very um, self-reflexive and maybe quite self-critical. Although I think in other ways, you know, I think maybe... mm, Is there an arrogance to him? I don't know. If there's an arrogance to Kaufman, it's one that I find uh, quite charismatic. But, um, you know, I think maybe there's like a little bit of a strain of narcissism in Kaufman, potentially. And I think that that can sometimes manifest as self-loathing and sometimes manifest as self-regard, and I (laughs) try not to project too much, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe that's something that I can understand people reading into Kaufman. What I do not understand, and seems to be quite widespread, is the idea that he hates women. Uh, I was really surprised to come across this take, and it's just not one... I, I mean, you know, I, I haven't... Again, I haven't seen specific critiques of his work apart from Eternal Sunshine of the... Po- <laughs> sorry, take that again. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a manic pix. Mm, fuck's sake, I can't talk. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a manic pixie dream girl narrative. Um, I mean, to me, it's very clear that it's a deconstruction of that, but obviously other readings are available... Other than that, I really don't see it. Um, all I can think is that, on the whole, Kaufman's characters tend to be very flawed, and that's the case with his protagonists, and it's also the case with a lot of his female characters. I think those characters are flawed in different ways that, to me, don't reflect misogynistic stereotypes or don't really seem to be very much tied to gender at all. Um... I think that some, not all, of his protagonists' flaws include some level of misogyny. Um, And I wonder if maybe this autobiographical reading that a lot of people have um, of Kaufman's work is why they feel that maybe the text or the author is condoning those attitudes. So when you have a character like um, Craig Schwartz in Being John Malkovich... Um, or like the central character whose name, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting, but the David Huless protagonist of Anomalisa who express certain misogynistic attitudes or uh, have certain misogynistic behaviours. If people are reading those characters as being autobiographical, then I guess... They're seeing Kaufman and the text as condoning those behaviours and attitudes. I don't see that at all. I mean, I think if you look at the endings of both being John Malkovich and Anomalisa, and you see the endings that he gives the men in comparison with the endings that he gives the women, I really don't think that you can read um, a hatred of women in there. Um, These men are often kind of trapped in very miserable circumstances in a way that I don't think the film is necessarily portraying as being a tragedy certainly in the case of being John Malkovich and the women are liberated and they're thriving out of the shadow of this kind of control freak of a man um so to me that reading um just really doesn't make sense um maybe again if I kind of got some more specifics of what people are referring to, I understand a little bit better why they have that reading, um, but I don't know, it just kind of seems to be a vibe that people get, and I just really don't share it, like, I have the absolute opposite reaction to his work, it's really interesting. Um, I've talked a little bit about the autobiographical reading that people have, Um, I think that he invites that, obviously, an adaptation, um, by making the protagonist um, himself, To me, I think that's kind of playful, um, that he's kind of making a joke about self-reflexivity, that he's playing with those ideas. I don't think it's uncommon for writers to um, use themselves in their central characters to some extent, but I certainly don't think that Kaufman is uh, more inclined towards this than many other writers. Um, I mean, uh, an example that I used in a discussion was Nora Ephron, right, who, um, you know, wrote Heartburn, which was very much an autobiographical novel, and then, you know, adapted it into a screenplay, and then I think that you can make the argument that from then on, you know, the majority of her protagonists, at the very least, have some element of her in them. Um, That's just an example that I plucked out of the air, but what I'm saying is that I don't think Kaufman is alone in doing this, Um, and I think that his characters actually are quite distinct. There are similarities between some of them, um, I think in particular, and I'll talk a little bit more about this uh, later, I think that um, Caden, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character in Synecdoche New York, and Jake, the Jesse Clemens character in I'm Thinking of Ending Things, although he isn't mm, technically the protagonist, we'll talk about that, um, I think that those have quite a lot in common, there are certain commonalities between them. Um, The rest of his characters, I don't know, Uh, to me they're distinct enough not to read them as all kind of being the same person, certainly being used to explore the same ideas and anxieties, but not the same person. So that's my take, you know, Um, I'm sure many people will vehemently disagree with me and I look forward to hearing about that, but there it is. one last um criticism that I just want to briefly engage with about Kaufman's work. Um and the main person I saw talking about this actually was uh oh god uh Raphael Bob Waxberg. I hope I'm not uh, mispronouncing that, who is the creator of BoJack Horseman. He made this critique and then almost immediately walked it back saying that he was not the person to make this critique. Um, given that he himself has been heavily criticized for casting a white actor um as a Vietnamese person. I'm a big fan of Bojack Horseman and um Bob Waxberg's other work, um The Exquisite Corpse project, etc. um but yeah, I think he was kind of he was a little bit out of line maybe um thinking that he uh, you know um was a good person to be making this criticism. I do think it's a valid criticism. But, um, and I can't speak on, you know, race really, um, as a white person, I want to stay in my lane as far as that goes, but, um, as a member of other marginalized groups, I guess something that I would say more generally is that I feel like it's more constructive to put pressure on the industry to, um stop only allowing white men to make films straight white men um rather than putting pressure on kind of individual creators to increase diversity in their own work necessarily um which is not to say that creators shouldn't be doing that but just that i think that it's more of a systemic problem than one that you can really lay at the feet of any individual um also there's been a lot of discourse discourse love it floating around twitter about how um closeted queer people should not write queer narratives and white people should not write black and brown characters So, you know, like, uh, I mean, I I think both of those takes are getting a lot of criticism and are not kind of the mainstream view, but still, it's like, the discourse, it's a lot. Um, But let's move on from that. Um, Let's talk about I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, So I first saw the trailer for this a little while ago, and something that struck me right away um, from the trailer Uh, was that it really reminded me of Get Out, certainly the trailer for Get Out. um, It had that same kind of horror inflection, and it felt like it was kind of hitting some of the same beats. I think the films themselves are actually very different, even though there are a couple of things they maybe have in common um, of using. I think that the um, big things that I would... Well, I mean, obviously it's somebody bringing their partner home to meet their parents and then creepy stuff happens, right? But I think also um, Tony Collette's performance in I'm Thinking of Ending Things kind of recalls um, Bessie Gabriel's performance in Get Out to some extent, so there's a kind of interesting link there. And of course, Get Out has links with being John Malkovich, Um, not just, obviously, the casting of Catherine Keener, but also the kind of central conceit, I think, takes a um, certain amount uh, of inspiration from being John Malkovich. Um, And I think Kaufman also has been an influence on Boots Riley, who made Sorry to Bother You. Certainly, um, uh, Riley... Kind of credited Michelle Gondry textually within the film um, as being an influence, but I think that also in a subsequent interview, um, he said that kind of Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman, and Michelle Gondry, that kind of trifecta who often work together, uh, were big influences on his work, and I definitely think you can kind of see that through line. So I think that's really cool and interesting that there's this kind of intertextuality going on, and um, these kind of films are inspiring one another, and then, you know, it's a kind of, uh, mutual relationship, which I just think is neat. Um, so, as I said, um, I did read the source novel of I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which, uh, was fun. Um, I think, again, in Mark Comey's review, it seemed to me that he was kind of, um, comparing the film, unfavorably to the novel, uh, which is kind of wild to me because the novel is very generic and it's fun. It's a page turner, you know, um, it's creepy. It's, it's got stuff going on, but I just feel like the film does so much more with those ideas and is just a really transformative adaptation. Whereas I think that the novel itself is actually quite generic, um, and much less kind of original and exciting. What I will say is that I wrote, uh, rather I read the, uh, novel after watching the film, which I think probably dampened my enjoyment. Um, there is an article, um, I think that it is in, yes, in Den of Geek, and it's by, I want to say Rosie Fletcher, I'm just going to make sure I'm getting that right, uh, I'm making this really hard to uh, edit later. I should just like retake. I should pause and retake. I'm feeling lazy. This is a house of sickness right now. I have a fever. It's not the thing, but I don't feel great. So I'm just being super lazy. This is going to be an easy breezy episode without a lot of edits. I know it might shock you (laughs) to find out that I usually do uh, edit my episodes because it doesn't sound like it. But uh, yeah, anyway. So Rosie Fletcher, yes, she wrote this uh, Den of Geek um, article, basically comparing the two, the novel and the film. She's a lot more positive about the novel than I was, um, but she does say that it's probably better to read the novel first, uh, because I think essentially because the novel is so much more plot-driven, whereas the film is a lot more atmospheric, so... It's not really going to ruin the film for you if you know what's going to happen at the end, especially because um, the film adaptation relies so much less on kind of twists. It really kind of peppers clues in right from the very beginning, Uh, whereas the novel does rely a lot more, I think, on withholding certain information and feeding certain information in a specific order to kind of lead you towards a certain conclusion. There are a lot of red herrings in the novel. I think it's kind of leading you to think that it's doing one thing when actually it's doing something else. Um, So for me personally, I think that the adaptation is significantly better than the source. Um, But again, you know, maybe my judgment has been clouded a little bit by the fact that I did read the novel uh, second So, your mileage may vary on that, but that's what I would say about it. Um, I think the film is a lot more referential, which is kind of interesting. I didn't necessarily know all of the references that it was making, um, but I felt that there was enough context that I could figure it out. So, for example, I've never heard Pauline Kael speak, um, so I wouldn't necessarily have immediately known uh, that there's a Pauline kale impression in here. You know, I wouldn't have picked up on that, but I got it from context almost immediately anyway. And I think a lot of the other references are like that. Either the text tells you what the reference is, or it gives you enough clues that you can figure it out. Actually, the one reference that I didn't pick up on uh, while watching was the reference to A Beautiful Mind, um, which I have seen, um, I saw at some point in the 2000s, uh, you know, uh, and I'd completely forgotten about that speech at the end, never would have known that was a reference, and actually that was one of the moments that probably worked the least well for me, for that reason, um, so I guess I can understand some people criticising the film for being overly referential, um, For me, it was only really that one moment uh, where it didn't work for me, and on the whole, it really did, just because there is enough context uh, for you to get that, or there was for me. So I think that that's one of the kind of interesting changes that the adaptation makes uh, in comparison uh, to the novel. Uh, One of the things that I thought was interesting about the novel is that there's a passage about how even in a relationship, you can never, even in a years-long marriage, you can never really know what somebody else is thinking, you can never really know what's going on inside their head, and I think that that kind of expresses an idea or an anxiety that Kaufman has been grappling with right from the beginning, this sense that you can never fully connect with another person, because there's always that um, gap between your consciousness and theirs and I think that he's kind of been playing with that idea right from the start, right from being John Malkovich. So being John Malkovich and I think also Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind to some extent are about what if you could share your head, uh, share your consciousness with somebody else um, and then I think uh, Synecdoche New York and Adaptation are about what if you could externalize your consciousness through your art. Um, so Synecdoche is kind of about Caden's interiority becoming this physical structure that he populates. And Adaptation is about um, the quote unquote Kaufman character um, having a twin brother and i think that idea of twins i'm not a twin i'm an only child so a pinch of salt but i think that the kind of concept of twins invokes this idea certainly of identical twins almost invokes this idea of a kind of dual self that you that you share a life with maybe i'm just saying that because i saw the prestige recently i don't know but um i definitely think that there's kind of something in that idea. So that's a kind of externalisation of your own consciousness into another person, which, of course, I'm thinking of Ending Things is also doing. Um, And then uh, you you have Eternal Sunshine and uh, Anomalisa and I'm thinking of Ending Things, which are all kind of about how your connections and your relationships with other people inform your identity and this question of, of who you are if you're isolated from other people, is it is it the way other people see you that ultimately constructs your identity? I think that's a really interesting question for now, um, you know, 2020, a year when I think a lot of us, those of us who live alone have probably been getting a lot less contact with other people than usual. Um, and I think that it's been a time of real reflection and grappling with identity for a lot of people. Um, So this film has come at a really interesting time and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, One more comparison that I want to make between the novel and the film is that um, Jake's physical description in the novel uh, is very different to um, the casting of Plemons. So interestingly enough, I think that the description that he's given in the novel actually matches Jason Ralph much more. Um, Jason Ralph is playing Nimrod in the kind of film within a film. Um, So it's kind of interesting that maybe in the novel there's this potentially somewhat idealised idea of what Jake looks like. And then um, in the film, you have this inserted um, kind of... uh, Embedded narrative which kind of makes that idealized version of Jake and maybe also an idealized version of the Buckley character um, into something that the. um, How do we refer to this character? Let's just call him the janitor. Something that the janitor is actually seeing on screen, rather than it being reflected in the pages of the main text, as it is in the novel. So I'm sorry if that sounded very dense, and if I didn't express it very well, as I said, I have a fever. Um, I think that's kind of appropriate for discussing this movie, which sometimes feels like a fever dream. Um, But uh, yeah, apologies if uh, some of this is, is feeling a little bit waffly um but I I just want to talk a little bit more uh, broadly about the casting of the film in general um I think Buckley is absolutely fantastic and I've been a big fan of hers I think the first thing I ever saw her in was Beast where she was great and then she was also great in Wild Rose not a film I liked as much as I liked Beast but her performance was incredible um and a total star maker Although, according to an interview I read with Kaufman, it was actually her performance in Beast um, that uh, convinced him to cast her in this. Um, so, you know, I think Beast is just fantastic and actually in some ways quite um, similar thematically to I'm Thinking of Ending Things, even though stylistically it's completely different. Um, it's all these kind of ideas of identity and relationships. Um that are in common between those two films. Um, I also want to talk about Plemons. Um, I like Jesse Plemons. Um, One thing that I noticed, right, so Plemons played uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son in The Master, which was one of um, two Paul Thomas Anderson narrative features, which I haven't seen yet. But I am um, aware that they played father and son. I think there's an obvious kind of physical resemblance between them. And I think um, it kind of makes sense that that Clemens is playing Jake here, because I do think that Jake is in many ways a successor to the Philip Seymour Hoffman character in Senecty, New York, which I think of Kaufman's films is the one that has the most uh, in common with I'm thinking of ending things. Um, and then, of course, you've got Tony Collette, who is great. You've got David Hewless, also great, who um, played uh, the main character in Anomalisa, of course. Um, so the core cast is fantastic, um, and I think uh, some really interesting choices made there. Um, and again, you know, the the two uh, kind of main characters, the Clemens and Buckley characters don't necessarily match up to the physical descriptions they're given in the novel, but I think that they're really, really well cast. Oh, and there was one last thing I wanted to say about the casting, which I imagine was probably a complete coincidence, but I think it's kind of amusing that the two uh, main actors in the film are both called Jessie. Um, I'm sure that Kaufman cast them on the basis of their talent, which is huge um, and not because they're both called Jessie, but I do think that that's kind of a fun little thing, and maybe there was some kind of element of that that fed into the casting, I don't know, either way, it's, um, it's a fun and kind of apt, uh, coincidence. right, so let's move on from casting talk and talk a little bit about ipsaity. Uh, this is, uh, a word which is kind of, um, quite pointedly used in the film and that's actually one of the things which does come from the novel interestingly enough um i looked up the word it is defined within the film uh, but i wanted to know a little bit more about it and the first thing that came up was an anxiety disorder which is essentially when a person's sense of basic self is disrupted um and that's not so much um disruption to your identity in terms of things like narrative memory uh, which is much more present in the film but the sense that things are happening to you um, and not to a different person and I think maybe that resonates more actually with the novel um, than it does with the film although it kind of works for both but I thought that that was uh, quite interesting and it reminded me of the use of the uh, Frigoli delusion in Anomalisa, uh, which I think is never actually name-checked within the film itself, but is just kind of um, more obliquely referred to. But the Frigoli delusion is essentially what Anom- Anomalisa depicts, which is where everybody looks the same to you. So I think it's kind of interesting that Kaufman again, is kind of um, invoking these kind of psychiatric disorders in this way, um, I think it's much more thorough in Anomaly, so much more thorough an exploration of a very specific phenomenon, whereas I think what's happening um, in the film and thinking of ending things is much more left up to interpretation, although in the novel I think it's pretty clear that this is somebody suffering from dissociative identity disorder. I quite like the fact that Kaufman kind of gets away from that a little bit um, and makes it more kind of multivalent because I think that potentially the novel is feeding into a kind of problematic trope of making characters with any kind of psychiatric disorder scary or threatening um, and although in the end that character doesn't end up being a danger to anybody except himself, I think still in, in the way the, the novel unfolds, um, he is positioned um, as this kind of threatening and dangerous character in a way that, that I think is mm, it's not ideal for me. And I think that Kaufman gets away from that uh, in a way that I appreciate. Uh I think it's also interesting um, that the film, though it's filtered through Buckley's interiority, just as the um, novel is obviously filtered through the narrator's interiority, her strangeness in the film is much more obvious. Um, And in fact... I think that the audience realises that there's something strange about her as a character uh, before we realise that there's something strange about the world that we're being shown as a whole. Um, So it's almost as if her strangeness kind of overwhelms the strangeness of the world, or potentially is even the cause of it. Um, Because quite early on in this car ride, before we have anything else weird going on... um, we have these kind of inconsistencies that pile up about her character. Um, So I think that that's another interesting change from the novel is that we have an unreliable narrator in both. um, But I think that the film is much more upfront about that. Whereas the novel again, kind of gives us a lot of uh, red herrings. It's more straightforward in its storytelling, but it's also more misleading because it's, encouraging you towards a certain interpretation whereas I think the film is kind of laying things out from the beginning um even though it does gradually reveal itself more and more it's not like a third act twist in the same way that the novel is Um, and again I I appreciate that change I think for me that's much more interesting and much more kind of creepy and menacing that the character who's the point of view character is almost immediately somebody who is uncanny. Um, And I think that that really kind of puts you on edge as an audience uh, to know that your kind of avatar for experiencing this world is strange um, and not quite right. Um, So I think that that's a really interesting choice Um, and, and one that I appreciate from Kaufman. Um, so I want to talk about this character a little bit more, um, who, even though she's kind of been described as a cipher by some reviewers, and I think even, I think actually I used that phrase in my letterboxd write-up, that she's a cipher, um, because I kind of internalised that from, from other critics, not that I'm a critic, but you know what I mean, um, but I think it's actually a lot more kind of interesting than that, um, Kaufman's talked about how, you know, he wanted to make sure that Buckley really had something to get her teeth into and to kind of make it a real character. And I think a lot of the credit for that does go to Buckley, but I think that some of it does, or a lot of it does go to Kaufman as well. Um, and again, this is really different from the novel. In the novel, it's Jake, who kind of has this academic career, whereas it, I, I'm not sure if it's even clear what the narrator does, um whereas here instead of making her kind of a blank slate it's more that there there's such a variety of things that she does or is interested in um that kind of often contradict one another um so she's equally nebulous but not because she doesn't have an identity of her own but because her identity is kind of pulling in different directions um so i think that what's another thing that's different about the film is that Jake here is much less academic, there's a long discussion of him getting a pin for um, diligence rather than for academic achievement, and that being kind of a blow to his ego, because it's kind of like A for effort, um, but not so much for attainment. Um, So to me, I think the Buckley character is less a kind of idealised girlfriend for him in the film, and more this kind of wish fulfillment avatar of things that he wishes that he had done with his life, wishes that he had been able to do with his life. So all of these kind of careers that are very academic, I think that these are aspirations that he may have had, which he wasn't able to achieve. And she's a version of himself that he can imagine his parents approving of, um, and being proud of, or being impressed by. And then that kind of breaks down with the paintings. Um, She shows um, the parents these paintings that she supposedly painted, and they just don't understand them. And then later, she goes down to the basement, she sees these paintings. And the ones that she actually showed on her phone are credited to somebody else. But there are all these other paintings that are painted by Jake, So I think that while the academic careers that Buckley has supposedly had are not real, I think that these paintings, the ones in the basement, they are real. And that is a part of Jake that he desperately wanted his parents to understand and approve of, and he just, you know, could never connect with them over it because they didn't understand where that art was coming from or what it meant. So I think that's really interesting and kind of poignant. And I think that's one of the things that I find really interesting and impressive about the film, is that I don't think that Buckley is, as I said, this idealised girlfriend figure. So the other day I watched Ruby Sparks for the first time, which is kind of playing with a similar idea in a completely different way. And I think it's a really good film, by the way, Um, but just much less abstract and much more kind of straightforward. And there I think the Ruby Sparks figure is an idealised girlfriend, as well as being a kind of projection of uh, the Paul Dano character's self, whereas here I think that kind of um, ideal girlfriend thing is much less what's going on than an idealised self, Um, a a version of Jake that he thinks might have been more successful in the world than he was. And I want to kind of relate that a little bit to the idea of um, queerness in this film, which I don't think is obvious. So queerness is something that Kaufman has kind of explored a little bit before, certainly in being John Malkovich. I mean, that's the big one. I think that film is very queer. Obviously, you have a same-sex relationship between two women. But also you have the potential idea of transness in that film. Um, It doesn't really end up going anywhere, but it's introduced in quite an interesting way. And I'm not sure... I mean, I think the fact that that character doesn't end up transitioning doesn't necessarily negate the idea that they may be trans. Um, So that's very much there in being John Malkovich. And then in Synecdoche, New York, again... You know, there's this kind of idea of inhabiting another gender, of of living as another gender, or living in uh, a body, uh, which is read as being a different gender. Um, and, you know, there are kind of intimations of homosexuality there and transness. Um, not in a very explicit way, but it is kind of there under the surface uh and i think here as well you know you have these two really interesting and significant conversations between uh the two jessies in the car and in one um jake kind of reprimands the buckley character Uh, i'm sorry i have a terrible frog in my throat i'd love to think that it makes me sound like Catherine keener i think it probably just makes me sound uh painful to listen to uh but anyway uh, so in one of these conversations um, Jake kind of reprimands the uh, Buckley character for using the word sissy. And then later there's another conversation where they um, kind of talk about um, homosexuality having been blamed on mothers at one point. And he kind of um, picks her up for conflating homosexuality with psychiatric disorders in that conversation. None of this is in the novel. And I do wonder if... There's maybe some possibility that you can read Jake as being queer in some way and maybe that's why he's chosen this kind of um, female avatar, Um, rather than it being that she's, again, this kind of um, idealised wish fulfilment girlfriend. I mean, that's just one reading and I'm sure a lot of people won't share it, but it is something that kind of occurred to me and that I thought was quite interesting. Um, I think that's a lot less present in the novel than it is in the film um but it's just you know something I thought about um but yeah I definitely kind of felt like those ideas of kind of playing with gender and queerness were present here again um in a similar way as they were in Synecdoche and again not as blatantly as in being John Malkovich, but that's obviously something that Kaufman is interested in and has kind of revisited uh, a couple of times so uh speaking of Synecdoche which I kind of think is the I don't want to say forerunner of this film because that makes it sound as if this film um, maybe is an improvement on Synecdoche, which I don't think it is. Um, I think Synecdoche is still Kaufman's best film and the one which kind of best expresses these ideas and anxieties that he's always grappling with. Um, I think I'm thinking of ending it as fascinating. I don't think it's as good as Synecdoche. Um... But certainly I think that the two are covering very similar ground. Um, And I just kind of think it's interesting that my impression is that this film has made much more of a kind of splash than Synecdoche did. And I think there are various reasons why that might be. Um, It's been released, it has been released on streaming um in 2020 which is just you know um a completely unique year in terms of the film industry in terms of the way that we're relating to films and experiencing them so i think that has something to do with it i think possibly the kind of rise um in online film culture is part of it um came out in 2008 Um, Twitter was already around at that time just I think but Letterboxd was not yet around and I think that kind of online film culture just wasn't as developed as it is now so I think that that is part of it I think also maybe you know what online film culture there was in 2008 I was engaging with much less and uh, probably just kind of engaging with the conversation around the uh, release of he less than um, this time around. But I do wonder if there's something about 2020 that has put many of us in a kind of frame of mind where self-reflection and intimations of mortality, um, to uh, misquote Wordsworth, Um, These are things that are very much on our mind at the moment, kind of unavoidably. So I do wonder if maybe the film dropping right now, when those feelings are so much in the zeitgeist, has also um, made us more kind of receptive to it as a culture. Um, Or maybe it's all just confirmation bias and it actually hasn't um, made that much of a splash at all. Uh, except among a very small kind of demographic uh, online. Um, I did see somebody say on Twitter that it had sunk without a trace, which seemed like a very bold statement. Um, I feel like a lot of people are talking about it. I feel like there are lots of conversations about it. It might be that it hasn't been one of Netflix's kind of top 10 streaming things that's been released but other than that we don't have a lot of data about uh you know viewing figures on Netflix. So I think it's um very interesting and bold to say that it sunk without a trace and I don't know how much data there is to support that. And also I did just want to briefly um uh, go on a tangent about Netflix viewing figures. So the last ones that I saw had Umbrella Academy at number one and it's done by minutes. So obviously like Umbrella Academy is, what, eight hours long or something? Um, so obviously if people watch 100% of Umbrella Academy versus 100% of I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Umbrella Academy is going to have the edge, even if it's the same number of people watching all of them. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to point that out. It's not that important. Just something I've been thinking about. But I think that that pretty much concludes everything that I had to say. But I'm thinking of ending things, I'm sure that I will turn off the microphone and then remember something else that I really wanted to talk about, um, but it's escaping me at the moment. So I will just say that I made a playlist for the film, It's still kind of a work in progress, I might still tinker with it a little bit, but I am going to drop the link for that into the show notes so you can check out that playlist if you want to you yeah, know, no pressure, just if you're interested, whatever, um, and I will just share um, a couple of the things that I read about this film which I really liked, um, so one is an interview with Charlie Kaufman by Jonathan Romney in Sight and Sound magazine, um, I think that's really good, um, there is also a David Ehrlich review of I'm Thinking of Ending Things on IndieWire, which I really like, don't always like Alec, don't always agree with him, but this one I think is on the money. I think it's pretty much the best thing I've read that's been written about the film. Uh, So I really enjoyed that. And also there's a David Sims uh, interview uh, with Kaufman in The Atlantic. Before I go, I want to do one last thing. And this is my um, Kaufman Rankings... Uh, This is not including Human Nature and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I have not seen. Um, So these are his other films and I have been trying to do a ranking and they keep moving around. Um, I'm not solid on these, um, but I would say for me, number one is Synecdoche. Um, To me, it is the most emotionally resonant of his works um, absolutely blows me away. I don't think it's perfect, but I do think that the heights it reaches are so incredibly high that it it just edges out his other work for me. Second of all being John Malkovich, I think Kaufman came out of the gate with a basically perfect script and film. Um, I can understand people having certain issues with being John Malkovich, there are certain uses of slurs that I can understand people feeling alienated by. To me, it kind of makes sense in the context and it works, but I can understand how you'd have a different feeling about it. But um, uh, for me, it's a near-perfect film, and the only reason that it's below Synecdoche, New York for me is just that, again, the kind of emotional resonance that Synecdoche has... um, just kind of uh, pushes it over the top a little bit. Uh, My third uh, is going to be Anomalisa. Um, I know that this didn't resonate with everybody or almost anybody. Um, I just really like it. I just think it's underrated. Um, I think it's profoundly moving and sad and challenging and difficult, and I can really understand why people struggled with it. But for me, it's just doing something so interesting and tricky. My number four maybe is adaptation. Honestly, it's been too long since I saw it to be certain about this. But everything that I do remember about it, I love. I can't remember a single thing that I don't like about it. Um, So that's my number four, maybe. At five, I've got I'm Thinking of Ending Things because as much as it intrigues me and kind of makes my neurons fire and I think it's so interesting and it's stuck in my mind and it's fascinating. There are things about it that I do find alienating and I also think that it's treading a lot of the same ground as Synecdoche in a way that's not as successful. So that's why it's so low but again this list is really shifting, things are moving around a lot. Um, I don't want anybody to get the impression that I don't like I'm thinking of ending things, it's just that I feel like it's less original than his other work, and I don't just mean because it's an adaptation, but just I feel like it's kind of going over the same ground that he's already covered in the rest of his filmography, uh, so that's why that's so low, um, and then at the very bottom, and this will be, uh, shocking, I'm sure, to a lot of people, is Eternal Sunshine, Um, Again, I don't want anybody to get the impression that I don't like this film. I just think it's so overrated among his films. I feel like Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa are so underrated, and Eternal Sunshine seems to be the one that most people connect with the most, and, um... (laughs) This isn't a mark against the film that other people like it more than I do, of course, but I just can't help but feeling that it's a little bit overhyped. And so I've put it there at the bottom. However, I need to watch it again. It's been a really long time. I think it's been nine years or something. And I think I've seen it twice, maybe three times. Um, But like I say, once in the last decade and it was you know very beginning of the decade a long time ago I was a different person then and uh my brain wasn't fully developed so I need to watch it again and I do think it's a great film um I just think that it's also um I don't know gets a lot of love in comparison to some of his others which for me work better so uh, if you want to argue with me about those rankings or tell me what your rankings are Again, you can find me in Letterboxd, uh, in the UK, Twitter, blah, 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 blah. it's all in the show notes. You can find me, if you want. Uh, and we can uh, have a chat about it. So, do it. Uh, Alright, I am going to sign off now. <laughs> Please wish me luck in getting over my fever. Uh, again, I don't think it's the really, really bad thing. I think it's just a bug. Uh, but if my energy has been somewhat manic and my voice has been somewhat scratchy, you know why. Uh, Thoughts and prayers to me, please. Um, I'm gonna go now, and I will see you in the next life, Jack.